So last week, I introduced the word eschatology, um, which is just a word that means uh, the study of the end of the world, the end of time. And I said in last week's sermon, when we were looking at all saints, that all of time is headed towards one great big party. Remember that scene with, with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation partying around the throne of God. But before that party can start, or to use the language of our parable, before the bridegroom arrives, a few things have to happen first. So what has to happen before the party starts? What do we as Christians believe about the end times and the end of the world? And how should we approach and feel about the end of this world? Well, our culture has a lot to say about the end times. And sometimes I feel like Christians are a bit more informed by the culture than they are by the Bible. And there's kind of two primary ways that I think our culture thinks about the end of the world, the the apocalypse, or whatever language you want to use to talk about that. There's two kind of ways that that the, the culture in America approaches that. The first is absolute fear and terror. And this one, this one kind of cuts across the entire political divide or any other social divide you could imagine. Um, this is why we have tons of movies that are talking about the apocalypse, the end of the world. We have all these movies because we're sort of fascinated and terrified of it. But, but there's, you know, you have everybody kind of on every side of the political aisle who kind of falls into this fearing the end of the world. So on the one hand, you have like the, the doomsday preppers who have their bomb shelter in their backyard and they're stockpiling weapons and food, right? And then on the other side, you've got kind of climate catastrophizers, right? Who, who buy houses that are at high elevation to avoid the rising seas and uh, try to live off the grid as best they can. And, you know, if you identified with either of those, um, I, I want to say I'm not trying to insult you in any way. You're partially right, right? There, there are some very scary things in the world. Whether you're the doomsday prepper who's fearing World War III or the zombie apocalypse or feeling, fearing some sort of climate catastrophe, right? We do live in a great time of global uncertainty where there's countries that are pointing nukes at each other and there's increasing levels of conflict around the world. And so naturally, I think everybody starts thinking, is this the end? Is this the end of it all? Or maybe, you know, you're thinking about our, the creation, And and you're looking at these very real climate challenges due to bad stewardship of God's good creation. But I think both of those kind of live in this state of fear, of anxiety about what's coming in the future. Many Christians have taken on this view of the end of the world as being terrifying and scary. So I, I had a friend once who... Um, after reading the Left Behind series, anybody know what the Left Behind series is, right? Was so terrified that they would wake up in the morning and their parents would be gone and they would be left behind that they started sleeping in their parents' bed, holding their hands so that if they got taken up, they could go with them. You know, so that's kind of like one extreme, one way that Christians have been influenced by this fearfulness about the end of the world. But then there's another approach in our culture, which is to be completely indifferent to the end of the world. This is the kind of like, stick your head in the sand and pretend like the end of the world is never coming. That life is just going to continue on as ever in this endless cycle. 
As the great philosopher John Michael Stipe once observed, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. <laughs> Just kidding. He's not a great philosopher, but uh, <laughs> he's lead singer of R.E.M. Anyways, but, but they kind of live as if this life is all there is. And church, I want you to hear you, hear me. There are many Christians who are living this life as if this life is all there is. That there isn't a coming end of the world. We have adopted this view in the church. But the Bible tells a different story. Not one of fearful, crippling fear, and not one of indifference. It tells a different story. It says that when Jesus returns, it will be the end of this world as we know it. But it also tells us that the end of the world is not the end of the world. Christians believe that when Jesus returns, he is going to make all things right. You know, if you were to sum up everything that the Bible says about the end of the world, it would just be three things. One, it's good news. Two, it's very surprising. So if anybody's predicting the end of the world, they're probably wrong. And three, what comes after the end of the world is far more important than the end of the world. The end of the world is just the beginning of the renewed world, a world without sin and death, without violence and destruction, where God's creation is restored fully as it should be. It's a world with justice, real justice, where what is wrong is made right. So how should we feel about the end of the world? Well, I think our approach, rather than what the culture tells us, should be twofold. We should be eager and we should be prepared. So first, be eager. We should be eager for the return of Jesus. The return of Jesus is good news. Actually, it's the best news. Jesus himself talks about it frequently in the Gospels, and the Apostle Paul always included it as an essential part of the good news about Jesus. It wasn't like, just repent and believe in the cross. It was also, Jesus is coming back to make all things right. You know, in the parable that we heard that, that Jesus tells in our gospel reading, all ten virgins are outside eagerly waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom. Now, we don't really have this exactly in our culture, um, the same kind of thing, but I think we have a close, uh, a close analogy. So if you've ever been to a wedding, there's this moment where everybody is at the location where the reception is going to take place. The food is all laid out and smells delicious. The DJ is all set up, ready to play music. And what is the crowd doing? Being bored and starving, right? <laughs> Why? Because the bridal party is still taking pictures, right? And we're all waiting. We can't start the party until the bridal party gets here. That is similar to what is happening in our parable. In the first century, the bridesmaids would wait for the arrival of the groom and his entourage, and they would hold lamps to light the way along the road. And just like today, when you never know how long it is going to take for the bridal party to finish taking pictures, the bridesmaids wouldn't know how long it would take the groom and his entourage to arrive. So the bridesmaids are, are out there 
eagerly waiting for the arrival of the groom so that the party can start. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is the posture you are to have as Christians. It's like that moment of anticipation and eagerness when you're waiting for the party to start. This is what it's like to live as a Christian in this life. Waiting expectantly, eagerly, always for the coming of the bridegroom. Waiting for Jesus to come back and make all things right. You know, when we look at the world around us, we see a world that is not as it should be. We see mass suffering, violence in our cities and homes, child poverty and human trafficking. We see a creation that has not been stewarded well. We had, we had the hottest year on record last year, ever in recorded history. We see thousands of Israelis slaughtered like animals by Hamas. And now we're watching thousands of children dying in Gaza. This injustice, this unrighteousness should make us angry. It should deeply disturb us because it is not the world as it should be. It should make us want to eagerly cry out, Jesus, come back now, please. Now, you might say, but wait a second, David. What about our reading from Amos? Doesn't Amos say, as Bernie read it so well, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord? Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Well, let me, let me clarify this. For the Christian who is living life with Jesus, the return of Jesus is good news. For those who are suffering and sacrificing for God's kingdom and not the kingdoms of this world, the return of Jesus is good news. But for those who have lived life for themselves and not sought God's justice, when his justice comes, it will not be good news for them. It will be bad news for them. We need to heed this warning. Notice in our passage from Amos, he is talking about us. We're looking at Amos 5, the religious people. This is what he says in verse 21. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. And then God says this, right? So he's calling out the religious people who are worshiping him and praising him. And then he says this, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In other words, what God is saying, what the prophet Amos is saying is that God is not interested in our religion if we are not pursuing justice and righteousness. And righteousness here, I love the way Megan put it, it's just making the world right. That's what righteousness means. It's one of those words that we kind of throw around in the church and never really quite understand. It just means making things right again. We know the world won't be made fully right until Jesus returns, but we need to take a side. We are called to be lights in the darkness, like those virgins who are holding their lamps out. You know, you can come to church and say the prayers and sing the songs, 
But if you're not living out your faith, contending against injustice, then God says your life stinks, literally. It, it smells bad to him. And I want to say, come to church. <laughs> Don't use that be, as an excuse. Come to church. But be the church out there in the world. Come to church on Sunday, but then go and be the church out in the world. We live at a time in American history when the church is shrinking rapidly. And honestly, I think it's God's judgment on us. Because for far too long, we, we've come to church on Sundays and said our prayers and sung our songs. But we haven't actually been lights in the darkness out in the world. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that we all have to be Martin Luther King Jr. or Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. I hope we have a few of those folks raised up from our congregation. Maybe you're one of those folks. That's wonderful. But I love what, what Mother Teresa said. She said, we can't all do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. And that, that has a huge impact. We can be good stewards of whatever piece of God's creation has been entrusted to us. When we see sexual harassment or, or bullying in the workplace, we, we can be the one who says something. When we see someone who's hurting or struggling, we can interrupt our schedule and stop and pray for them and encourage them. When there's conflict in our families, we can be the peacemakers. When we see a hungry person, we can be the one who shares a meal with them. We can use our influence and voice to speak up for those whose voices are often silenced. For the immigrants, for the refugees, for the disabled, for the elderly. If we have been contending for justice, fighting for the gospel of Jesus that brings peace on the earth, then when Jesus returns, we will feel relief, we'll feel joy, we'll feel excitement. Paul talks about the return of Jesus as an encouragement. I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, the thought of Jesus returning today, is that an encouragement to you or not? He says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, therefore encourage one another with these words. And he's talking about the return of Jesus. You know, some of you are facing discouraging circumstances. Some of you are facing really deep disappointment. Some of you are even grieving today. I, I want to speak directly to you for a second. Listen to what Paul says. Do not grieve as those who do not have any hope. Turn your grief into eagerness for Jesus to come back and make all things right. Take your disappointment and point it towards the one who can actually do something about it. Jesus, who will never disappoint us. Put your hope in the only Lord and Savior who can truly make every broken thing right. Second, so first we're going to be eager. Second, be prepared. We are not called to be doomsday preppers. So if you have a stockpile of weapons and a bomb shelter, it's not going to be really useful to you when Jesus comes back. Hate to break it to you. You can't kill Jesus with a gun. Um, so <laughs> he's coming back either way. So we're not called to be doomsday preppers, but we are called to be prepared. All of the ten virgins were eager for the arrival of the bridegroom, but not all of them were prepared for the arrival of the bridegroom. Five were wise and five were foolish. Five were prepared with extra oil and five did not have extra oil for their lamps. They were not prepared. In the Bible, oil is often a symbol 
of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, um, all throughout the scriptures. It's a sign of God's presence with us. That's what oil symbolizes. So the five wise virgins have stockpiled the presence of God in their lives. They have filled their flasks with oil. And that's how we're called to prepare for the return of Jesus. Jesus has not abandoned the world until he returns again. He hasn't just left us to our own devices. Jesus is still present. He is still moving and acting. But now, he's not just limited to one time and one place. He's in every Christian believer. Every Christian who has the Holy Spirit has God's presence to carry out into the world. We are the presence of Christ in the world. You know, one of my constant prayers for my children is that they would never know a day apart from Christ. That they would always know that they are with Christ. They would never know a day apart from him. Because if we have spent our life with Jesus, then we will spend our eternal lives with Jesus. But if we have spent our lives apart from Jesus, there's a warning here. Then we will spend eternity apart from Jesus. We will have made our choice. So choose wisely today. Choose to be on God's side. Choose to fight injustice. Don't just follow the sinful patterns of the world. It's so easy to just turn a blind eye and look the other way. I know it. I've done it. Don't do it. If we have the Holy Spirit, Jesus' presence with us, we will have the means to do something about all the injustice we see in the world. Not by our power, but by his power. That's important. Jesus is the one who gives us the power to do something about it. Not by our power, but by his. And he's coming again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. That's the good news for us. If we long to be with the Lord always, we will be with the Lord always. You know, as you move through your days and something upsets you, something makes you fearful or anxious, something makes you despair, just say, come, Lord Jesus, come. I find myself praying that all the time. When you read the news and you're just like, I give up. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I don't know if we will face World War III or a climate catastrophe, but this I do know. At the end of time, Jesus will be king. He will make all things right. Not just in heaven, not just in my life or your life. No, Jesus is going to be enthroned as king over everything and make the whole world right again. It is this vision, this hope, that will keep our candles burning until he comes. Christians, be eager for this day. Be prepared for that day. Would you pray with me? O oh God, whose blessed Son came into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life, grant that having this hope, we may purify ourselves as he is pure, that when he comes again with power and great glory, we may be made like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom where he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.